I'm somebody that, despite what you may think, I'm not afraid to just openly and directly address something. And I'm not sure anybody thinks that, you know, you're not afraid to do that. <laughs> How do you feel about the transfer portal? College or high school? Start at college. I mean, it's getting absurd. How so? I think the obvious, just in regards of, um, I mean, I, I think as coaches have began to transfer more and more, transfer, get fired, rehire, whatever. I, as they have begun to transition more and more, I think you've been seeing that same thing reciprocated by rule and allowance but also kind of, you know, the kids kind of seeing the game being played per se um, and open access like, oh, okay, I can transfer without penalty, I'm out. Uh, and obviously you see competition, you know, kind of, in my opinion, in this generation start to kind of diminish a little bit, lack of wanting to compete. But there's two sides to every story. I mean, I think you see coaches that bash the kids are like, oh, well, he transferred, you know, he didn't want to compete. And a lot of times that's the case, but there's also cases where it's like, well, that was he was in a really bad situation, and that was my kid. I probably wanted him to be able to leave as well, you know. So I, I mean, I see both sides, but I think it's gotten a little absurd. Is there is there a way to fix it? Is there is it a good idea in theory? Because uh, I remember when I was playing, the rule was you couldn't transfer within conference, and if you no matter what the situation was, if you transferred. You had yeah. to sit out a year unless it was like ridiculously unique, severe situation stuff. Mm -hmm. So is there a way to find a happy medium from what we have now to what it used to be 10 years ago? I mean, I think, I think the biggest thing, maybe you don't agree, but is it's the whole, you know, coach leaves, then you all can leave, you know, without penalty. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I think that's really increased a lot of, a lot of these transfers because it's kind of a domino effect. Like, even if it is with intention, like, it, it's a domino that's fallen, whether it's a domino that got added that causes a fall or one that left that caused a fall. But it is a domino effect. Would you agree? Yeah, I think that um, – I think it's a nuanced situation. There's a couple of things that I've read that – or heard people say at clinics and things that I think to a certain extent – are accurate descriptions of the situation as a whole. I mean, we talked about last week, you know, we should never speak in absolutes. Um, so you never want to say that the transfer rule or the transfer portal has caused all of these issues or is a problem mm -hmm. across the board. You never want to say that. Uh, but I heard a coach describe it as a direct correlation to a microwave society. You know, everybody's afraid to, to smoke something or to cook ribs all night. They don't want a 12-hour process. They oh, want yeah. they want a three-minute process. Good metaphor. They want immediate results. And there's obviously some validity to that statement. You can see it just from social media standpoint, you know, recognition standpoint. Totally get that. But I think that the NCAA, this is an issue that they took a Band-Aid approach to a problem that needed surgery. You can't go in and make one or two quick adjustments to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that's where we're at right now. I saw something, I think it was a week and a half or two weeks ago, there's still over 5,000 players in the transfer portal. Jeez, man. That's... And how many of those are freshmen or yeah. sophomores? I saw a kid who, he's out of Texas, out of DFW, was a freak um, in high school, just put up ridiculous numbers, went to a couple camps, put up num- crazy numbers, and um, ends up at one of the best programs in the nation. And he transfers in conference after his freshman year. And he then he didn't get his playing time or what? I, I don't know. I don't know what the reason was, but I know he transfers within the SEC his first year. And then he transfers to a group of five after his second year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean how do we how do we know? Well, I mean, I, th- I know we don't know the, the inner the intertwinings and the details of the situation. Right. But where do you draw the line? I mean, you'd like to be able to say, you know, it's okay, we added these rules. Okay, let's, you know, if we added four, let's take two back. You know, maybe that'll help. I do think, because I've heard kids now more and more, even just the last two years, like in talking to them, hey, where do you want to go to school? I think I want to go to this school. Okay, why? Never really had a clear answer. But my point is, is like throughout that conversation, they were very quick to be like, and if I don't like it, I'll transfer. 100%. And like, it wasn't like that even five years ago. You know what I mean? And so I think, like, I think that's a problem. And like I said before, I think there's two sides to every story. Um, because where a lot of the kids, even the kids' parents, you know, start to see as like, oh, well, this coach is going to leave. Like, this coach went and took two more million dollars, to, you know, for another job, so why can't my kid leave? I'm like, well, I mean, would you not leave for another $2 million as well? Like, I mean, it's it's different, but they, they use that, in my opinion, a lot of times, um, and there's validity to some of that, but I think they use that a lot of times as a scapegoat. Well, if he can leave, then we should be able to leave as well, uh, whenever we want. And it's like, I think that, you know, the whole old adage of like, no, stay and compete. And you know, even if you're a Nick Florence and, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out or sometimes it does in his case. But like, I think that we've slowly stopped teaching that um, because we're not kind of allowed to anymore because it's so easy for the kids to be like, oh, I don't, I don't really like it. I haven't really checked the place out yet. Haven't done my due diligence. Um, kind of like the vibe a little bit on my visit, uh, even though I was on Instagram the whole time taking pictures. Uh, and if I get there, I don't like it, I'm just going to transfer. I had no idea that there was – eight kids that were only within a year or two of me eligibility wise in the same position meeting. So I didn't realize I was going to be ninth on the depth chart, but I do now, but I'm on campus. So I'll just transfer. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's a, it's a, obviously it's a bad deal, but know? I think a lot of that, you know, it's easy to be like, well, the kid didn't do his due diligence and there's a lot of validity to that. But I also saw something the other day that major programs will offer up to 200 scholarships for a specific class and they yeah. can only take in, they can only bring in 25. Well, yeah, I, th- I think that's where, you know, that, that's where it, it's, you know, that's the other side of the story there. You know, it's like, I respect those schools that are still trying hard to be like, well, you know, we, we don't offer that easy. Cause you know, half of me is like, man, I respect that. I, I appreciate you. The other half of me is like, Dang, man, I feel bad for you because you're losing out on all <laughs> yeah. these other offers. You're going to get burnt because you're trying to be morally correct. Yeah, because the most important thing at this point is who wins and who gets fastest to Twitter. Who can offer that kid the fastest on Twitter? And if and if you do that, unfortunately, these kids, the way that these generations are starting to you know, become programmed, 
I mean, that is that is their personality. They express more there. They feel more. Um, they feel happier when they receive stuff via social media than in real life. It's validation. Absolutely. I mean, it's um, they get almost you know euphoria more you know experiencing it from social media and alike as opposed to hey congratulations, which is so scary now. It's so scary. And it's one of those things, too. It's like, I think we need to work on that. But it's also like you can't be the old coach and be like, well, back in my day, you know, wasn't like that, you know, because it also is adapt or die. So we've got to find that happy happy medium there. But um, there's got to be a fix to it. It's only going to get worse. And I think one of the – this is the thing that the players, even at the collegiate level, the players, the recruits, they have more power – then they know. Yeah. Just like, you know, the NFLPA was going through. They, it took up until probably 2010, 2011 for the players to really come to an understanding of how much power they had as a collective fist and not single fingers as individuals, mm-hmm. right? And there is a, a little bit of a trickle-down effect, I think, to the college level because they have – certain expectations or bargaining chips that they could go to the table with. Obviously, you're not going to put together a players' union for college athletes, right? But you can approach certain aspects of the NCAA from a conversational standpoint. What's the two things that are kind of continuous hot topics right now when it comes to NCAA recruiting college athletics? Transfer Mm -hmm. and money. Yep. Players want more money, and they want the freedom to transfer. The NCAA doesn't want to give either. Right. Pick one. Right. You want to go wherever you want to go? Cool. You don't get any name and likeness because there's no guarantee that you're ever going to actually play for that school. You get it, you claim all that name and likeness from the time you sign through your redshirt year because you were a five-star recruit. You were one of the, the leaders of the top recruiting class in the nation, and then you never suit up. You don't get any of that money. Yeah. So pick. Do you want the ability to transfer or – do you want to get paid? And if I'm the NCAA, approach it that way. Put together a coalition of recent former players and current All-Americans, Dean's List, whatever. Put together a board and have a conversation. What do you want to be able to do? You want to get paid? That's what's going to help your family change you know, your circumstances as a collective unit? Okay. Well, wherever you go, you're there a minimum of three years. Yeah. And if you don't like it at the end of three years – we, you can look into transferring and sitting out a year, or you can try and get on a track to graduate early and then transfer. Sure. Because now you've put guys in a situation where they're getting, they're reaping rewards of their name and likeness, their notoriety, but they're signing a binding contract. Yeah. Still, it, still not getting that money until post graduation or or going to the NFL. Right. Yeah, I, I would agree with that because I w- I would think. If, if, if they were able to get that money immediately, I mean, obviously, legally, like, legally you can't right now. But if they were to make a rule where you could, I mean, less than half would be able to actually deal with that money the right way. Oh, for it, sure. It, it'd, be, it'd be stupid. And the name and likeness thing, that's, that's a whole other Pandora's box that we don't really need to open. But I think, it's, I, I think that there's opportunity yeah. to, if everybody wants to talk about how collegiate coaches approach this as a business, well, it is. It's their job. And you can't blame coaches for how much they make. You can only blame the market. You want to be mad at somebody for how much 
Jimbo Fisher makes or Nick Saban makes or his defensive ends coach makes, get mad at the fans. Sure. Because yeah. they're the ones that are paying that much for those tickets. They're the ones that are causing those tickets to be so expensive. They're the ones putting 110,000 people in uh, Bryant-Denny Stadium. Yeah. All of that. That's whose fault it is. And yeah. once the market makes a shift, then the profit margins will adjust accordingly. But yeah. you can't get mad at the coaches for approaching it from a business standpoint if you're just going to refuse to do it. Right. Well, I mean, I think, I mean, this is, you know, super, super deep. But, like, when it comes to all of this stuff, even just in the things that we're dealing with in the world today, um, I mean, I couldn't have told you whenever I had my flip phone Motorola um, how much Jimbo got for his first job. was no access to it. So all of that stuff, I had no clue. Point is, none of the kids knew probably either. Um, nobody knew a lot of that information out there. Um, all that stuff starts coming out more and more. Oh, this coach makes this, he makes this, this kid has this many offers. The more that you know, the more these dominoes start to fall, and the more now that you're going to see it just get worse and worse from a transfer perspective. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I mean, the more that we know, right, it's, it's almost like us as humans are going to end up faulting. That's uh, the art of free will. Yeah, and it's the it's the danger of knowledge. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Well, Dino Babers used to tell us all the time, knowledge is power. It's just how you use it, good or bad. Yeah, yeah. So. And, I mean, there's people you don't know what you don't know. And I think that was a good thing um, to an extent. And, again, there's pros and cons, but in this regard, I think it was a pro, uh, you know, because at the end of the day, you had people like yourself that was in a room. You didn't know who else was in there. Um, and from a – classification standpoint and you're just competing because um, I bet it'd be different not that you would have left but if, if you were in your shoes right now you know what I mean um, and you ha and you knew that oh these guys are here I got Josh I got this guy's coming in uh, they've already offered this dude who's a 6'4 receiver things might change like oh I think I need to go ahead and leave well and I I mean full disclosure I contemplated leaving yeah I was I was inches from leaving. I was yeah. gonna, I was gonna look at transferring FCS so I didn't lose any eligibility and I could go play, finish out my last year and a half, two years. How much easier would it have been in in today's world? Oh, yeah, Tim Tay would have been. You're gone. Zero hesitation. I'm gone. Yeah. But I mean, and I'll just be completely transparent with it. Um, we bring it was 2010. Josh is coming off of a really good off season, and Terrence is back from you know. Starting quite a few games. Lanier started every game in 09. So, you know, you take that and then you add in that they moved a kid from inside to outside, Darius Jones, and Antoine Goodley is coming in as a red shirt. And there was another kid that had signed in 09 that they were still trying to get on campus. So there's three new kids in the room of five that already existed, you know, and I got three above me. So I finish 09 going into spring of 2010, and I'm thinking – I'm second on the depth chart somewhere. Yeah. Right? And these kids come in, and, and Babers flat out tells me, he's like, we don't know what we have, so you're not going to do a lot the first week. You may not do a lot the second week. We need to see what these guys have. And after about six practices, I was pissed. Because, you know, again, I'm 21. Yeah. I don't know any better. I've worked my tail off. I've done everything they've asked. I've put on the weight. I've put in the time. I know the playbook better than at the time I would have said anybody Yep. So I felt like I had done everything I needed to do to to get those opportunities. 
But the fact of the matter is, is I was free labor. So yeah. I wasn't I wasn't an asset that had been invested in. They needed to find out what they were going to get out of the these pieces that they had brought in that they had invested school money into. Yep. They need to evaluate where they are starting point wise, how long it's going to take them to progress where they need to, and what kind of further work need to be put into these kids. I didn't understand that at the time. All I understood was I worked really hard and I wasn't getting reps. Yep. Which is a very narrow-minded focus. I didn't understand the bigger picture. As a coach now, obviously, makes total sense. Yeah. You know, you can even say from a coach's standpoint, hey, I know what I have in you. I know that you can go put up 150 on seven targets. Yeah. I know that you can do that. I need to find out what these kids can do. I didn't even understand it from that point. I just understood that I wasn't getting as many reps in practice as I thought I deserved. So I walked in the locker room. I was like, I'm calling coaches. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm reaching out. I'm calling Texas State. I'm calling, you know, A&M Commerce. I'm calling somebody. Sure. I'm going somewhere. And I had a conversation with Terrence Williams. He goes, obviously, I don't want you to go anywhere. I want you in the room with us. We're about to do something special. But if you feel like this is something that you need to progress and, and pursue and and go do, then, you know, I got your back. I support whatever decision you make. And I went to Baber's office, and he said, I'm going to tell you right now. He goes, yeah, somebody will bring you in. Somebody will give you a little bit of money. But at the end of the day, they're going to have more money than somebody else, and you're going to be right back in the same boat, just not at the same severity. Long term, best decision I ever made to stay. Yeah, because I I would go to say, like, what would be your outlook in coaching if you were to transfer, go to commerce? throw up a couple of really good seasons, get great. Like, would you have learned all those lessons? You know what I mean? No, not at all. I would have I would have had zero, and we're talking about, this is August of 2010. I've played in six games up to this point through my redshirt freshman and redshirt sophomore year. I played mm. in six games. And it was all trash mop-up time. Like, you know, I played a little bit on special teams in 09 towards the end of the season when bowl eligibility kind of fell out and and I got to do a couple things. Come back in 2010, I'm all frustrated through training camp. And then I play in 10 games. And we go to a bowl. Yeah. I'm on the field. You know, I'm on the field against K-State to capture bowl eligibility. I'm on the field at, at Daryl K. Royal to start the game. Yeah. Right? I get I end up getting my opportunities. And I ha- and it came in a completely different way than I had necessarily wanted or hoped for. But the fact of the matter is, is that when you look at the stat sheet, it says games played in mm-hmm. 2010, and I was on the field doing something to help our team win and be yeah. a part of something special from a program tradition or program history standpoint. Sure. Wouldn't have got that if I'd have just said, this sucks, I'm out. Yeah. Yeah, lessons learned, for sure. What about high school transferring? There's a tough one. Yeah. There's a tough one. Um, here's my thing. Coaches joke about it a lot. Hey, we need to go find this, right? We're one piece away. We need to go find this, right? Ha, 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 ha. And we say those kind of things. Here in Texas, it's totally different because the vast majority of elite football is played from a public school standpoint. Mm-hmm. And so when a kid gets recruited – or f- discovered to play at a private school and they go over there and you see these TAPS schools, these private schools that are turning out 
six, seven, eight power five kids, and they've only been at this private school for a year or two, it's very frustrating because you have nothing to combat that. There's no way to push back. There's no way to do anything about it. Um, and with those programs, the worst is when you look at, like, you see their sub-varsities play, and then you see their varsity play, and the, just the demographics and the maturation of those teams are completely different. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, and it makes it really tough. But if you really want to pour salt on the wound, it's finding out that public school coaches are doing it. Yeah. Because yeah. this is supposed to be, with our, with our association, with the expectations of the state, this is supposed to be, yes, we're hyper-competitive, we work really hard, we want to win, but it's supposed to be somewhat of a fraternity of coaches. Yeah. And when guys do stuff like that, man, it just... When you know it's not like, hey, my dad got an, a job outside of Houston, so we're moving four hours away. Right. Completely different situation. Classic That's, answer, too. Right? Like, but if, you're, if there's a, a large move, if there's a large amount of distance, it's hard for me as a coach to be like, oh, no, I don't believe you. That's crap. Yeah. When it's 12 to 18 miles, tough sell. Absolutely. Tough sell. Yeah, well, especially when the parent is, like, the one that's, yeah, you know, we uh, we got to move. Like, hey, man, I'd rather you be like, hey, you know what? We just feel better going, you know, up the road, down the road, you know, across the street. Just tell me straight up. But don't ask a 40-year-old man lie to me. Like, I ain't, I ain't going to tell on you. <laughs> but, just, but just be straight up. And that's what – then you get a lot of this pushback of, well, the head coach has to sign off on it, so why don't you just say that they're transferring athletic – yeah, in a, in a vacuum, perfect world, yes, you can do that. Then you open up a lot of can of worms. Yeah. And I mean, it, become, it, can be, it can create more distractions and more problems for the kids that are here, that are staying, that are a part of something. Right. Because of – community pushback from other groups or media coverage, et cetera, et cetera. Was a kid from the receiver that went to AM. Um the backflip kid from Oh, Demond Demas? Yeah. Yeah. Like there were they said that at his appeal hearing for his transfer, there were like thirty media outlets. Yeah. That's a big deal. I mean he's one of the top recruits in the state in the nation. Right. And so but and obviously that's a very, you know, exaggerated example but and your everyday kids may not necessarily garner that media coverage but every each program on each side of that fence the ones that lost him and the ones that are trying to get him eligible that's a distraction yep because a coach from each is probably having to go a coach from each is probably having to field questions about it and they're in the middle of camp trying to get ready for a week one football game yep so the papf and you know blocking a transfer it's a lot harder than just checking that box. Well, yeah, I mean, because I mean, you're, you're left. I mean, I've been in that situation before where we've, you know, we've we've gained the kid, uh, and then we've lost the kid. And in both of those situations, you're kind of left as a coach with the depth chart. All right, so for the next two weeks, do I need to rep this kid or do I need, do I need to not rep the kid? Like that's what makes it tough, in, in my opinion. I mean, it's you know, aside from you know the team and whatnot. I mean, it's but just from a um, a business perspective that's what's taught like all right so going through spring ball do we need to you know 
do I need to make this kid first string or do I need to go ahead and put him at second because, uh, or actually third because we have our another first string and then the second string. And then if he does play, then we can bump to first string. It's tough. Yeah, you got no idea, you know, from an efficiency standpoint, how to divvy out that practice time. And then from like a smaller school perspective too, knowing that like he's probably a crossover kid. So it's only affecting it like if he's a receiver, it's like receiver and DB. So you're probably affecting like four kids minimum. 100%. Yeah. And that's where the frustration comes from is that, you know, and like you said, don't lie to me. You know, this yeah. isn't something like everybody gave Jimbo Fisher a hard time when he left Florida State because, yeah. you know, they were talking about how like it was like close to midnight. And he's like getting, yeah. in, you know, getting in his car and heading out of Tallahassee and, you know, sneaking out the back door. Like if that's even on your heart at all, get out in front of it. Yeah. Because, yeah, I, I'll be I'll be frustrated. I'll be upset. But if you approach it from that standpoint, I'll have more respect and, you know, ease of moving on because you're not going to negatively impact all the other kids, those four, five, six kids from a rep standpoint, a standpoint, a play standpoint, you right. know, all of those things. But right. And you get it over with. You don't have Adam Schefter, you know, throwing out rumors or whatever it may be, uh, you know, and so you don't have little media outlets that are – Oh well, you know, we this might be happening in the next twenty four hours. Just come out and, and be done with it. Boom, let the media do what they're supposed to do, talk about it for that day, and then you're and then move on. Just rip the band-aid off. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have an offensive philosophy? You know, hard pivot back to you know, sports. Yeah, lock in. Do you have an offensive philosophy or do you have an offensive identity? Uh both. Elaborate. Um, Thank you for the one word answer. Please tell me more. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think yeah, I think you have to have both. Uh, I think you have an offensive philosophy. Um, so a good example would be, um, you know, not to give any secrets away, uh, but you know, our offensive philosophy um, is we are a, a spread up tempo, you know, blah 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 type of offense, um, and. That is, you you can customize and you can um, accommodate and you can adapt that every single year to who you have as players, which that itself will then create an identity every year. So you might be that offense, and you are a, that year you are a vertical type of offense, and that is your identity. Uh, and, and people say, well, his philosophy is vertical, and their identity is they're vertical with RPOs. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. the next year you could be, uh, well, they're just death by a thousand cuts. Um, and they rarely take shots. And when they do, it's off of run action and it's, you know, 60 yard bombs and that's their identity. So I think you have to have both. Okay. Do they change? I, you said yeah. your identity changed. Does your philosophy change? Has it changed since you've been calling plays? Every year. How yeah. so? Um, I mean, I think, I, I mean, there's bits and pieces, I think, from the core that um, I think that you need to always try to keep tight knit. Uh, I think that's that's your you know building your home uh, on solid rock. Uh, I think there's some of those things need to stay the same, um, but I think within your philosophy, a lot of those things should be able to change every year because of how much you should be learning and growing from each year. Um, the mistakes that you made, the good things that you did that year, the things that you did great that you wish you'd do more. I think you learn more each year, and I think that would naturally you know the best way I, I would say. I don't think your crust will ever change, but I think the way that you can make um, the whipped cream 
in the sauce and the toppings on it. I think all that can be tweaked every single year and be a little bit different. But if you're crust, I think I think that has to stay the same because that's who you are and that's what you know. Did you just make a dessert metaphor about offensive football? Dude, I haven't had lunch. I'm so hungry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think um, for me, I try and I try and make sure that I understand who our team is. Yep. And then let both the philosophy and identi- identity reflect that. Mm. You know, and and that's where growth comes from the beginning of a season to the end of a season. The really good teams are the ones that understand who their team is personality-wise right now. Correct. Because their scheme, their approach, their aggressiveness, whatever, in-game is going to be a direct reflection of that from week one. Mm-hmm. And the teams that have the most growth are usually the ones who either mislabeled the personality of their team mm-hmm. or misunderstood it and figured it out along the way. And that mm-hmm. was us last year. Yep. I thought we were going to be this. We ended up being this. And the kids stayed committed while we figured out that identity, while we adjusted that philosophy. And that was where our success came from. So I agree. I think it's your philosophy has to be core comfort for the play caller. Mm-hmm. And the personality has to be, or the identity has to be a partnership with who the team is right and because you could take a philosophy and you could call it a certain way you could tweak it a certain way to make it fit the identity yep but you can't do the other you can't right you can't change your identity to fit your philosophy because your identity is rooted in who your kids are yeah absolutely i mean i I think i think the sweet spot as offensive coordinator um you know you should strive for is that you have that offense that has the ability to do all those things with whatever team you've got, you've got the um, got the little giants, or you've got the cucumbers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's from from whatever you know range you have, you can adapt with you know it's almost like a car wash. For the most part, every single car can go through there, except for a semi. Right, right, and 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 there are those years to where it's like crap. Like we we what what I have right now. Is not best and wing T is best. Uh, what do I do? Yeah, I, th- I think those things happen. Uh, I think that's what makes you better as a coach. For sure. I, I think that's what makes you identify like, oh crap, I need to be able to expand within my philosophy and within my scheme um, to put these kids in a better position. Yeah, you got to. I mean, there's never going, especially at the high school level, right? Yep. You know, you get into collegiate NFL, it's different because they get to go, well, I want that kid to play here because he fits what we do. Yep. But you don't get that luxury here unless you do go find those kids, however that may be, whether it's within the realms of your governing body or, you know, if you happen to know the right people. But that's a a song and story for another day. Logan or Floyd? I mean, from a business standpoint, they both knocked it out of the park. Absolutely. Good for them. Saw the payouts. Final payout for Floyd was like 110. Whoa. Payout for Logan Paul was like 18. Yeah, Floyd's a genius in, in both business. Yeah, he's a magician. And, um, I mean, the obvious answer is Floyd Mayweather won the fight if it was a boxing match. But Logan Paul won the day 
because he didn't end up on his back. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, and if you, I mean, if you watch the fight too, it's one of those things. Like Floyd was just like, you could tell, like, hey, I got my money. I'm just gonna mess with you a little bit. He was just toying with. Like him. I'm just gonna make you look stupid. Yeah. Like I'm not gonna be tired at all. I'm gonna barely be sweating. Um, Logan's out there looking like Ivan Drago, just drenched in sweat, <laughs> wide base. Yeah. Just sweating. Yeah. Trying to stretch the lats out and get the old breath in the corner <laughs> of the ring. <laughs> and uh, Floyd just like walking back to the corner, and you know, just kind of sits down. He's okay. Here we go. I'm next. Just up. having a conversation. Oh yeah. What a genius. And he, he is so fast, too. That's what people don't realize. Yeah, I mean, he fought, like, they said that was his, the heaviest he's ever fought, and it was, like, 159. Wow. Heaviest. Sick. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, he's so hard to touch. Yeah. And, you know, the one point where, like, Logan Paul's standing over him, and he, there's, like, a flurry of punches, and they're like, well, you know, a lot of action. Don't think he really did anything. Didn't land one. No, it's just a lot of hitting shoulders and, and triceps. Dude, I use that with my quarterbacks today. Because uh, I'm, I'm just sick and tired of them throwing and their back leg. It looks like it's going over a cone or something like that. I was like, guys, like, I mean, I think it, but Floyd's got a lot of power. And he threw a couple punches there, if you go back and look, um, that were extremely powerful. Didn't see his back foot really move at all. Um if you can do that, you guys can throw the football that way without having to move your back foot. Um, but, I mean, those those two guys, I mean, respect for them because they, they won before the, the match even happened. Did you, do you? So do you think that Floyd knocked him out and held him up? Did you see that? Uh-uh. There was a big thing on Twitter um, that at one point, I don't know what round it was, but Floyd catches him pretty hard. And Was it with the left? Uh, yeah, it was coming, but it was coming up on a little uppercut. Okay. And he, like... You know, Logan leaned on him a lot, tied him up a lot, and it was one of those where, like, it was right at the end of a round, and when you slow it down or you break it down into still shots, it looks like homeboy's out like a light, and Floyd catches him like, come on, son, we got a little bit more of a show to put on. Are you on. serious? Yeah. So, uh, and I don't know. I mean, you can wow. interpret you can interpret still shots and stuff like that any way you want, but yeah. I... Uh, yeah, you can. <laughs> right, and uh, but I do think, I mean, by the end of the fight... One of Logan's eyes was a little swollen. His face was a little... He'd taken a couple of shots that were not... They did yeah. not feel good. But, um, yeah, you know, Logan Paul <laughs> had... You know, he's he's had a pretty tarnished reputation for a while just because of how brash and over the top he was. And, and his brother. Right, yeah. We yeah. don't... It's not even talking... But yeah. I even told some of my friends, I was like, you know what? I kind of I kind of respect this revamped Logan Paul because he even talked about how, like professionally had rolled over into personal and he was feeling he didn't feel good about himself anymore and you know this whole boxing thing kind of trend that he's got on he said i found something i really love to do and it's fun and it's made me feel better about myself and he even said like immediate post fight in the ring he was like i don't like being a dick he said this is one of the greatest boxer of all time like i'm just i'm honestly just happy to be here did you You pay for the fight i did dude i was over there on uh, Twitter, constantly typing in, you know, like, right. like Floyd social- and Logan. And I had everything from the Chinese broadcasters yeah. to English. <laughs> and I was over there, you know, it cut off. And it'd be like, no! <laughs> and I had to, like, quickly then type it yeah. back in and find somebody else. And yeah, was- I had to buy it because, you know, Chad fought. Ocho fought. Yeah, but I heard Showtime cars. was kind of just... 
So I, I didn't. I did it through FanMeo. So, but the feed was fine. You did it uh, through what? I don't know. It was called FanMeo. I just oh. paid my fifty bucks and it worked. It was a Showtime feed. Interesting. But you know, I had to go watch Ocho, even though he he got he got his bell rung and knocked the mat. But still, it's impressive just to go do that stuff. You know. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not trying to get in a ring where somebody's trying to knock my head off, especially at this point. And Ocho's right. like ten years older than me. Right. So. Yeah, forty four. Uh yeah, 40, 44 or forty five somewhere in there. Yeah, and F- Floyd forty four. He's forty four. Wild. Whoa. Yeah, he looked good still. Yeah, he. I mean, they say who knows how true it is, but he always said that he never watched tape either. Oh really? On his on his opponents, he never did any. All of his Whoa. scouting was done in the first two rounds. Dude, so he's like he's like Wheezy F. Yeah. Just, just doesn't write anything down. Just, no, yeah, yeah, no notes, straight go, from the dome. I'm just going to go figure out what I need to figure out, learn who you are as a fighter wow. in the first six minutes, and then, you know, I'll make you pay for it. If that's if that's the truth, whoa. It's wow. scary. All right, let's pivot to a slightly... Pivot. 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 <laughs> let's pivot to a slightly less poignant, maybe anxious topic. Poignant. To s- yeah. What does that mean? Like specific. Nice. That's good. Um, you know, I've, I've been reading my dictionary. Dude, what a psychopath. <laughs> uh, and I know you hate these questions because you're going to be like, why can't we just appreciate their greatness? I'll probably plead the fifth on that. I know. Yeah. Um, but it's the greatest college football team that has ever played, that you've ever seen. See, that, that makes it better. What? That makes it better. We, right. Yeah, you can't – obviously, I don't want you speaking on the 1938 Navy squad. The best the best college football team I've ever seen. Yeah, so like the modern era, in your lifetime, whatever. Um, dude, that 2000 – was it 2005? Um, USC, Texas. Dude, USC – was rolling at that time. They is your argument for USC? Oh yeah, U- USC was rolling, but, but they lost. I know, I get it, I get it. But that team, that, that was a squad right there, like squad. Um, I want to say them, but it's pretty hard to go against LSU. Twenty nineteen LSU, really? That's dude, dude. Was it fifty one points a game? Uh, right. I mean, pretty tough to go against that. Otherwise, you go to, you can go nineteen ninety five Nebraska if you want. Uh, you can always you know bank on that. It'd be a great answer. But who's there? Uh, who was the quarterback for them? It wasn't Scott Frost at the time, was it? No, no, no. Yeah. It was the the big dude. Because they he ran the ball a ton. That's when they had a Mon Green. That running back, right? Yeah, I'm just trying to think of who the quarterback is. I can't remember. Okay, so who is it? It's 2019 LSU for you. But you're just see, look, this is, he's such an offensive coordinator. All you talked about is how many points they put up. What did their defense do? How many All-Americans did they have? What did it look like? What was the turnover margin? What was their points per game? National championships. I don't understand what the question is. Because we're trying to compare teams that don't get to play each other. So statistics have to play. Some sort of variable. Yeah, but I mean that's no different Can than. You, do you even remember but, their defense? But, but, but or no? that, that Joe is, Burrow just had a cigar and walked in the locker yeah, room. Yeah, who so needs a defense when you have those guys on the field? Okay. Twenty nineteen LSU. 
Not 2000s Miami. Not even part of the conversation. Dude, they would have smashed them. Wow. It's different speed. Speed kills. Sorry. Different speed. He just he just slept on 2000s Miami. You know, like you know, everybody was on that team, I right? I know. Yeah. I mean, I counted one time, and because I saw the team picture on Facebook or something. I mean, I still I don't remember watching them play. What was I? Was I at that time? Probably six or seven. Seven years old. I wasn't sitting in front of a TV screen at seven years old, just like, whoa. Look at the inside zone there. That was incredible. Well, I obviously like, wasn't calling out inside zone. What a, I, what a, what a mic fit right there. That was inc- <laughs> But I do remember the names and the plays. Oh, yeah. Dude, Andre Johnson, Clinton Port. Dude, they had four running backs on that team that played The question the was that you've seen. Huh? The question was that you've seen play. I honestly thought – I didn't mean live. I You know, you don't have YouTube. Lack you don't watch guys play. I guess that's a lack of communication then. Um, I mean, maybe you just didn't understand understand the question. It's okay. Hey, you don't have yeah. to have the same taste as me. I'm just telling yours is wrong. <laughs> Teach te- your own. Te- Why can't own. we just appreciate both of them? Te- I would have the the major pushback would have come if you'd have said 2005 uh, USC though because they lost and that you can't do that. You can't be the greatest team to ever play even in an era and lose a game. Because there are so many other teams that did it without losing. Because you should just then pick Texas. In football? Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Hey, you can't, you're not making that conversation for that argument for a Major League Baseball I was, team. I was just making sure since we're, you know, got to be specific in this conversation right now. Oh, my gosh. If, yeah. you're, playing, if you're playing anywhere from 80 NBA to 162 mm-hmm. games a year MLB. I would hope. You're going to lose a game, and that's so you're, okay. You're going but if you're going to play... 12 or 13, and you're going to be the greatest, you got to win them all. That's why the 2007 Patriots don't get to be in the conversation. Interesting. So so you're going 2000 Miami? I I honestly, it's between them and the 05 Texas team. Because, again, you had four running backs mm-hmm. playing the NFL. Mm-hmm. You had, you know, all-American quarterback. The, where I think Miami, from an offensive standpoint, where I think Miami trumps Texas is the receiver core. You can't name you can't name correct. Three, you well, can't name three receivers off that team. Yeah, because who was dishing it to him? Keith Sweat. Nobody. All all Vince Young had to do was just run. That's all he had to do. Just and run. He threw for like twenty five hundred yards I, that year. I get it, but we're not. It's not something like Joe Burrow. Totally different. Where it's like, well, everybody can name those receivers. Well, yeah, totally they were all drafted in the first round. But apparently they're not any good, right? I didn't say – never said they weren't good. Gotcha. It's kind of, But it is also kind of like the conversation on one of the knocks against Tua. It's like, man, the guy just hits all of the spots, and then there's a picture of who he was throwing the ball to. First round, first round, first round, first round. Yeah. Kind of hard not to hit your spots when you're throwing it to four All-Americans. Yeah. I mean, I think these conversations are always interesting to have just because it's like – I mean, you can sit there and say, well, you know, they had speed, and you know, this guy was a 4-4, so the speed wasn't that much different. Speed's different. I, I mean, I, would you not agree that it's gotten that much more? We we had a whole podcast actually on how much more advanced it's gotten every single year. But one of the guy, one of the main guys that you're making an argument for, just ran a four five. No, I get I get that. And you're you cannot sit here and tell me that Andre Johnson can't run a four five. No, I, I'm, I'm in peak of his. I just made career. that statement. I just said that I'm not sitting there saying that they didn't have those guys, but the speed of the game, the schematics of it, how much better it's gotten, 
So you're not talking measurable speed. You're talking game speed, play speed. Absolutely. So trenches. You're talking trenches. Yeah. That's okay. There's validity to that. For, well, I'd hope you think there's validity to that. <laughs> Otherwise, probably wouldn't be having this conversation. I don't It just, man, that, that team was fun to watch. Not the year, obviously, that they lost to Ohio State, even though they should have won because that was a BSPI call in the end zone. You can't throw the flag that late. I don't care what you think. You either make the call or you mm-hmm. don't make the call. But the year before, that team was stacked. Both sides of the ball. Yeah. Both sides of the ball. The run that Miami had through the 90s. Well, for sure, yeah. You can't, you can't debate freakish. that. Freakish. Absolutely. It, I would say. So who's your pick again? I think it's got to be Miami. Miami. Mainly because of the way that I have this conversation with myself. Because I have it a lot. Because I'm weird. The, but I list out position groups, right? Or not list them out like, let's mm. look at the roster. But I just think about them. Right. Who did they have at this spot compared to this team? Correct. And you kind of do like they do in pregame analysis on TV. Right. They give the checks to one team or the other. And when you do it like that, despite the fact that I think Texas probably played a harder overall schedule Mm. well i say that big 12 is pretty down they beat colorado 70 to nothing in the big 12 championship um texas had a lot of dudes a lot of dudes that played a lot of years in the nfl dude miami had so much depth Mm -hmm. so much depth and you know quarterback i'm probably going vince young over dorsey probably running back i think is a wash o-line i think is a wash receivers go to miami running backs wash with who Texas and Miami. No, I know. Who? Jamal Charles. Um, Willis McGahee? Well, I was all the te- the Texas backfield was Jamal Charles, Ogbenaya, um, Selvin Young, Ramos Taylor, and the big boy from Grapevine that moved to Henry Melton. Mm-hmm. There's all five of those dudes were on the Texas National Championship championship team. Portis, Edron James, Frank Gore. Like, I feel like there's one more that I'm missing. But, like, Frank Gore's still in the league. Yeah. Clint Portis blew out every major ligament in his knee and then became a pro bowler. Yeah. So. Frank Gore, respect. Yeah. I love those memes of Frank Gore. Yeah. When they show that, like, Tom Brady playing at 60 years old. Yeah. Frank Gore playing at 60 years old. Tom Brady has a gray beard. Frank Gore looks exactly the same. Yep. Um. So, but that's just, I don't know. It doesn't surprise me that you went Joe Burrow. You're probably going to say that Joe Brady is like the best offensive coordinator in the game right now, too. Who else threw up uh, like 50 something points a game? Uh, Mac Jones in Alabama this year. No, I know, but like, you know, way before that. Uh, Baylor. Right. Like in the 2000s and. What was what was Miami's average? Because I really don't know what they were. Well, they were more pro style, but they were. Correct. I think it was like high thirties. Gotcha. And they also gave up exponentially less points. Game was a little different, obviously. Correct. But freaks. Yeah, they have freaks, no doubt. All those teams. I mean, I think anytime you mention a team like that, they're gonna have freaks. They didn't. They wouldn't be in the conversation. I guess there's some validity to that. <laughs>